0: So, I remember watching the Super Bowl back in 2017. It was the New England Patriots versus the Atlanta Falcons. How many of you remember that game? A little bit of that. So, going into that game, this was pre-Brady and Tampa, you know, the the golden years of, of Tampa sports. Um, this was when he was in New England. Going into that game, everyone's thinking, Patriots, they're going to smack the Falcons. Like, this isn't going to be close. They're going to crush them. Nobody bets against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. At this point, they already had four Super Bowl rings. Everyone's thinking they're going to smack them. They're going to get their their fifth Super Bowl ring. But when the game starts, it takes everybody by surprise. Like, the, the Falcons come out of the gate strong. They're scoring, they're scoring, they're scoring. And halfway through the third quarter, It is to 28-3 Atlanta. Like, it's a blowout. They're crushing the Patriots. Everyone's thinking, like, this is a really lame Super Bowl. I'm about ready to turn this off, go home. Falcons fans are celebrating. They're they're just a quarter and a half away of finally being Super Bowl champs. They're celebrating. They're, They're getting the Lombardi trophy ready. And then things start to unravel a bit. Tom Brady, like he always does, he flips a switch. And he starts picking the Falcons apart. He starts driving down the field. He starts scoring. And you're watching this, and you're like, is this actually going to happen? Like, I know he's the GOAT. I know he's the best to ever do it. But he's down 25 points in the Super Bowl with a quarter and a half left. There's no way he's actually going to pull this off. But sure enough, he brings the Patriots back. He ties up the game. They take it to overtime. And the Patriots beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl. It was probably the biggest collapse in sports history. The Atlanta Falcons, they completely fell apart. They blew a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl with just a quarter and a half left, one of the biggest collapses in sports history. Tonight, we are wrapping up our series in the book of Jonah. And last week, we saw God give Jonah a second chance. Despite Jonah running from God, despite Jonah being disobedient, despite spending three days and three nights inside a fish, God comes to Jonah a second time and says, I want you to go and to preach to Nineveh. And this time Jonah decides to obey. He goes and he preaches this message to the city of Nineveh, telling them they need to repent. And surprisingly, they receive the message well. They don't get angry, they don't get offended, they end up repenting and they turn back to God. And Jonah is this hero, the city is saved, everybody's celebrating, and you read this and you think, this must be the end of the story. It's time to party, it's time to celebrate. Everyone's been saved, Jonah's this hero. But what people don't realize is that there is a fourth chapter in the book of Jonah. There's a fourth quarter And just like the Falcons, we're going to see Jonah completely fall apart. We're going to see Jonah blow a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl. And in Jonah chapter 4, many of you, you've heard the Jonah story, but you probably have not heard this part of the story. Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this. But to Jonah, this all seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, the entire time through Jonah's story, there's this question that still hasn't been answered. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Why did he run away in the first place? We're never told why. All we see at the beginning of the story, God comes to Jonah and Jonah runs. We're never told why, but here we finally find out why Jonah didn't want to go. The reason that Jonah ran away is because he knew that God would give Nineveh a second chance. He knew that God was going to be gracious and compassionate towards them. And he didn't want them to be. He wanted Nineveh to face the consequences of their actions. He wanted them to get what they deserved. And now Jonah is angry that God has shown compassion and grace to Nineveh. Rather than celebrating that all these people have repented and been saved, he's mad and angry that God has given them a second chance. In fact, it says that to Jonah... It seemed very wrong what God did. To Jonah, it wasn't right. It wasn't fair. God shouldn't have let them off the hook. God shouldn't have given them a second chance. They should have gotten what they deserved. And Jonah, he's so been out of shape about this. He's so mad and frustrated that he begins to say, You know what? I'd rather just be dead. Like, I'd rather die than live in a world where God shows grace to these kind of people. I'd rather die than live in a world where people in Nineveh get a second chance. And listen how God responds to, to Jonah's attitude. But the Lord re- replied, is it right for you to be angry? God comes to Jonah, almost like a parent does with a little, with a little child, and he says, is this, is this really the best way to respond like, is it really right for you to be angry about this? Come on, buddy. Like, let's not go down this path. Let's have a better attitude. Let's not do this. Come on, buddy. Let's, let, let, let's not be so frustrated. But Jonah wasn't having any of it. Listen to what he does in verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah, he leaves the city of Nineveh. He goes outside the city. He sits down to watch what's going to happen. He's hoping that God is going to come to his senses, change his mind, and decide to destroy the city. This is what Jonah's hoping. And as he's sitting there, like it's really hot outside. He's getting cooked in the sun. So he builds this shelter to kind of sit under to to get some protection. And while he's doing that, God provides this, this plant that begins to grow, and it provides shade to Jonah. It's keeping the sun off him. It's God's way of of showing compassion to him and and providing relief. But then in the morning, God provides this this worm, and it eats the plant. The plant withers, and now the sun is just cooking Jonah again. He's sitting there, baking in the sun, and, and, and he's just had it. Like he just wants to die at this point. He's mad at God, he's mad at Nineveh, he's mad about the plant, he's got a bad attitude, and he's just done. He's having a bad day. And listen to how God responds to him. Verse nine. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And listen to what Jonah says. It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. He's like a little kid, like, is this really that big of a deal? It is. I wish you weren't my mom. I wish you weren't my dad. This is the worst thing ever. Like, he's throwing a little temper tantrum with God. I'm so mad about this plant that I wish I were dead. Like, that's what, what, what Jonah's saying. Listen to how, how God responds. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant that you didn't tend to or make it grow. You didn't, you didn't do anything about this. It sprang up overnight and, and died overnight. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and also oh, so many animals? What, what's God talking about here? What, what's the point of this plant and this, and this worm? You see, God is using this plant to teach Jonah a lesson. He's using it to show Jonah how absurd and ridiculous he's being. He's saying, Jonah... You care more about this stupid plant than you do about these people. Jonah, you're mad that I destroyed your little plant, but you wanted me to destroy this city. He's like, hey, buddy, do you see the inconsistency here? Like, do you see you're being a little absurd, a little ridiculous? And you hear this story, and you think, like, what, what's wrong with this guy? Clearly something's off. Clearly he doesn't get it. I mean, he's throwing a temper tantrum because God has shown grace to these people. He, he's all mad and worked up about this, this dying plant, but he doesn't care about the 120,000 people who have who've been saved. He's kind of acting ridiculous. But here's what I find so interesting. If you look back in verse 2, listen to what Jonah says. Jonah says, I knew. Everyone says, say, I knew. Jonah says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I want you to notice, Jonah knew that God was loving and compassionate. Jonah knew that God was slow to anger and gracious. He knew these foundational truths about God. He knew all the right things about God. He knew these things, but he didn't really understand them. He didn't really get it. Because if he really understood, if he actually got it, then his response would have been completely different. Rather than being angry and upset about God showing grace to Nineveh, he would have celebrated that they were saved. He would have rejoiced knowing that they repented. Which leads us tonight to to the big idea, which is this. There's a big difference between knowing something and actually understanding something. There's a big difference between knowing something and actually getting something. You know what the saddest part about Jonah's story is? The saddest part is that Jonah's attitude is a lot more common than you might think. You can find Jonah's attitude in a lot of people at church. You know, there are many Christians who know all the right things. They know that God is loving. They know that God is gracious. They know that God is compassionate. They know these foundational truths about who God is, but they really don't understand them. They really don't get it because if they really got it, if they really understood God's grace and God's love, it would drastically, drastically impact the way that they view and treat other people. Because when we really understand God's grace, when we really get it, it changes us and it changes the way we view people, and it changes the way that we treat people. Now, it can be very difficult to recognize this kind of attitude in our own lives. You know, most of us, we don't want to admit that we're like Jonah. We we don't want to identify with, with Jonah. But unfortunately, there are many of us who are carrying around this attitude in our heart, and we don't even realize it. So what I want to do is I want to give you a few, uh, a few things to look for in your own life to help you figure out if maybe there's, there's a bit of Jonah's attitude in your heart. A few signs, a few indicators that, that you might not fully get it, that you might not fully understand God's grace. The first sign is this, is that you are more concerned with other people's sin than your own sin. You are really, really good at pointing out everything that's wrong and everybody else. You're really good at noticing their flaws, their mistakes, their sin. They cuss, they party, they do this, they do that. You're really good at noticing those things and pointing those things out. But you overlook the sin that exists in your own heart. You're so preoccupied, you're so focused that you miss what's really going on inside your heart. The sin that exists in your life and you miss the fact that you are in need of God's grace just as much as those people that you're pointing out. Second one is this. You are skeptical of people's spiritual decisions and intentions. Like, when you see somebody show up at church from school, it's their first time here, rather than being excited that they're here at church, your first thought is, what are they doing here? I, I know how they are at school. I know what they do on the weekend. Like, what, what are they doing here? Like, they, they, they're, they're not here for God. Like, they don't care about God. They just must be here for a friend or to have fun. They don't, they don't really care about, about God. What, what are they doing at church? Or somebody, they they make a decision at Movement Weekend or they make a decision at camp. And and rather than celebrating and encouraging them, your first thought is, "It, it won't last. It's not gonna last. I give it a week and they're gonna be back doing the same exact thing. It's not legit, it's not real. You write them off immediately. You're skeptical about people's decisions. You're skeptical about people's intentions. Number three, you feel inconvenienced by someone trying to grow in their faith. There's somebody, and for whatever reason, you're, you just don't like them. You're, you're not a fan of them. And you are annoyed that they are here at church. You're bothered that they're in your small group. You're, you're bothered that they're in your department on Sunday morning. They're here, they're trying to grow in their faith, they're pursuing the Lord, and you're inconvenienced by it. Because this is your church. You were here first, and they're just getting in the way. It's not about them, it's not about their faith, it's about you, it's about your faith. And they're an inconvenience to what you're trying to do. Number four, the final sign you get upset when someone is given a second chance. When, when someone's given a second chance, your first thought is, I can't believe it. That's ridiculous. I, I can't believe they got off that easy. I can't believe they didn't get in more trouble. I can't believe they're still allowed to serve. I can't believe they're allowed up here on stage. I can't believe they get so much attention at church. It's not right. It's not fair. I can't believe it. They should not have gotten a second chance. It's not fair. Are any of these hitting home? You no, know, if you find yourself getting a little defensive right now, if you find yourself kind of pushing back a little bit, it might be because your, your, your toes are getting stepped on a little. And it might be because Jonah's attitude and your heart is starting to, to be exposed a bit. And, and, and I'll just tell you, I, I totally get it. Because for a long time, this was me. I knew all the right things. I knew all the characteristics about God, but I didn't really understand it. I really didn't get it. And I could tell I didn't get it because of the way I treated and viewed other people. And God had to begin to reveal that in my heart. God had to begin to to work that out of my life, and I had to repent of that. And even today, even today, if I'm not careful, this is the attitude that I will slip back into, the same attitude as Jonah, So if you're sitting here and you're starting to recognize, man, maybe there's a little bit of Jonah's attitude in my heart. Maybe it exists. I want to give you just three simple takeaways from his story that I I think might be helpful for you tonight. The first one is this. We don't decide who receives God's grace. We don't get to decide who received God's grace. Notice that Jonah was trying to put himself in the position of God. He thought it was his responsibility to determine who should receive grace and who shouldn't. He thought it was his job to let God know who was deserving and who wasn't. And Jonah even said it seemed very wrong to him what God did. What God did didn't meet Jonah's standard of fairness and rightness. But students, here's what we need to to understand tonight. Middle school boys over here, focus. Here's what we need to understand tonight. God doesn't need your help or my help deciding who gets to receive grace. God doesn't need our input about who's deserving and who isn't. That is not our job. That is not our responsibility. God has already decided that every single person is worthy to receive his grace. Not because they've earned it, not because they deserve it, but because he is a loving, gracious, and compassionate God. And no matter what that person has done, no matter how much they might have hurt you, no matter how much you might dislike them, God has already decided to show that person grace whether you think they deserve it or not. And students, I'm I'm gonna burst some of your, your, your bubbles right here. God is not in the business of being fair. God's not in the business of being fair. If God was fair, every single one of us would be receiving hell because that's what we deserve. If God was fair, that's what all of us would be receiving. God is in the business of showing grace. God is in the business of giving you and I what we don't deserve. And I'm thankful that God was not fair with me and that God gave me what I did not deserve. It's not our job, it's not our responsibility to determine who receives grace. Number two is this, is that we all receive the same amount of grace. Here's what Jonah didn't understand. Jonah didn't understand that the same grace that God showed Nineveh is the same exact grace that he had received himself. Nineveh's sin may have seemed worse. It might have been more obvious. It might have been more external. But the same grace that God showed Nineveh is the same grace that Jonah needed for the sin that was in his heart. They both needed the same amount of grace. And for those of us who have grown up in church, and I know many of you, you've grown up in church, I think it's easy for us to lose sight of the fact of how much grace God has actually shown us. Sometimes there's this tendency to think, well, I don't need that much grace because I'm really not that bad of a person. I haven't committed any of of the big sins. But students, each and every one of us, whether you've grown up in church your whole life or if tonight's your very first time, all of us are desperately in need of God's grace. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two. He says this, like the rest, we all were by nature deserving of wrath. That's what all of us deserved if God was fair. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace That you have been saved. Whether someone trusts in Jesus when they're five years old and the worst thing that they've done is lie to their parents, or somebody trusts in Jesus when they're 35 years old and they've been to prison. Both people need the same amount of grace. And both people would be completely lost without God's grace. All of us, we receive the same amount of grace. We need the same amount of grace from God. And finally, number three, what we have freely received, we ought to freely give. You see, despite receiving God's grace, despite being rescued, despite being given a, a second chance, Jonah had no desire to show grace to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to give them a second chance. What Jonah had freely received from God, he refused to give to others, you see, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. It's God giving us what we can't work for, what we can't earn. It is a free gift from God. And because it's a free gift from God, because it costs us nothing, it is not ours to hold on to. It's not ours to keep to ourselves. We must be open-handed with what we have been given. We ought to give to others what we have freely received because students catch this if we freely receive God's grace and then we refuse to show grace to somebody else that makes us a hypocrite because we say we believe one thing we say we believe one thing about God's love and God's grace but our actions they say something very different do you wanna know if you truly understand God's grace? Do you wanna know if you, if you truly get it? Then pay attention to how often and how willingly you show grace to people who don't deserve it. Because when we really understand the grace that God has, has given us, we will have no problem showing grace to others. So what does that look like? What does it look like for you to, to extend, to show, to give grace to somebody? It looks like encouraging people when they when they make a mistake. When somebody falls, when they make a mistake, when they sin, when they mess up, rather than, than gossiping about them, rather than, than beating them up about it, rather than kind of distancing yourself from them, it means you come alongside them, you pick them up, and you encourage them. You push them forward in their faith. Showing somebody's grace looks like believing the best about people. Like when that kid from school finally shows up at church or that person makes a decision at camp rather than dismissing them and, and not being believing them and being skeptical about them, you choose to believe the best. When you say, hey, what can I do? How can I encourage? How can I come alongside you? Giving somebody grace means giving people a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth chance when they mess up because that's exactly what God has done for us giving somebody grace means putting other people's needs above our own recognizing like when i'm at church it's not just about me there might be somebody here yeah i'm not the biggest fan of them but it's they are important too their faith matters too what do i need to do to come alongside them to help them it's not just about me we're putting others needs above our own And maybe tonight you're recognizing there's a bit of that attitude in my heart. You struggle to give grace to other people despite knowing how much grace God has given you. And if tonight, if you're starting to to sense that, if if God is starting to to convict and reveal that in your life, I just wanna encourage you to, to invite God to work on your heart to invite God to to do a work in your life and to lead you away from, from this attitude and lead you towards a life of grace and a life of love because that's what we have received from our Heavenly Father. So with our heads bowed, eyes closed, you know, this message, as I've been writing it, as I've been memorizing it, even as I've been preaching it. This has probably been the most personally convicting message that I've, I've written, that I've preached in a long time. God has been all week long showing me where this is evident in my life e- even now. And my guest is in this room with, with so many of you who have grown up in church. You've been a believer for a long time. Some of that, that attitude of Jonah might exist in, in your heart as well. And if tonight you would say, man, that, that, that attitude's there. I, I struggle to, to show grace and to give grace to, to other people. I just wanted to, to, to ask you to, to do something that, that's a little bit bold. Nobody's gonna be, be, be looking around, but I just wanna ask you right now to just to slip up your hand, to raise your hand wherever you're seated. If you would say, man, that, that's me. I've got a bit of Jonah's attitude in my heart. I, I struggle to show grace to others. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate that you're allowing God to, to work in your heart tonight. Let me, let me pray for you. God, we thank you that you are a God of grace, that you are not a, a fair God, but a God that gives us what we cannot earn, what we do not deserve. A God of compassion who's slow to anger, abounding in love. And God, as people who have been transformed by that grace, transformed by that love, God, I pray that we would lead the way in showing that grace and showing that love to others, God, that we would freely give what we have freely received. And Lord, for the students in here, the leaders in here, tonight who are recognizing that that attitude in their their heart, that unwillingness to show grace, God, we invite you to, to work, We invite you to to move in our lives, God, to lead us to repentance and to lead us to grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.